Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we we come to you today and we thank you, Father, that we could come and as part of our worship that you have established that we might come and listen to your word. Oh Lord, we need you this day. We pray that you would give us ears that are attentive to your word, uh, coming not to just hear the mere words of, of a man, but come to hear the word of God. So we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, that you might be glorified, that we might be strengthened, Lord, that we might trust and have faith in you. We thank you and we pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, as we come to the book of James, we've been looking at this uh, uh, epistle for a little over a month now. And we've been talking a lot about trials and, and, and the role of trials in the life of a believer and how God brings various trials into our lives to strengthen our faith, to show that our, our faith is genuine. But, but we also uh, saw last week that even as we go through those trials in our lives, that sometimes we are tempted, that sometimes we are tempted to, to doubt the, the goodness of the Lord and, and to see that he is a good God. And we might say, God, why is this happening to me? And we wrestle and we struggle with that. But James reminded us that, you know, when we ask that question, then we have forgotten the character of God. That we have forgotten how good God is. That in verses 17 and 18, we saw that, that God is a giver of every good gift. And not only that, but he is the unchanging source of good gifts and goodness. And, and, and not only that, I mean, James is just stacking term upon term upon term to show us how good God is. But that God has given us the greatest good that he could give us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As, as, as it says in verse 18, of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And that's how good our God is. But we also, when we ask that question, God, are you, know, are you good? We also have forgotten the nature of man and, and how that the sin and the, the temptations come, not because of God, but because of our own desires and how we are snared and sort of hooked and, 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 and drug away. And so, you know, as we, we come to this, James reminds us of this. And, but how are we to stand firm in the midst of these difficulties and these trials and the temptations in which we counter? Well, as we come to verse 19, we're sort of starting a new section, but it does sort of talk to us about how we are to stand firm. And that is as we rely upon the word of God as we find strength in the word of God, when there are trials that are, are difficult and demand wisdom and strength from God, the word provides those answers and it gives us those strengths. When we get into temptations that, that test us to the very limit, we go to the word of God and it is through the power of the word of God that we resist that temptation. And, and we see that in other places in scripture. You know, Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
And so as we, we come to this passage, uh, we, it's a passage that you know, we should find great hope and great encouragement in as we find these difficulties, uh, as we go through these difficulties of life. But I want us to see, as, as, we, as we look at this passage, that, that James has something very specific in mind that he's wanting to, to talk to us about. And so I want us just to, to, to read through uh, our, our, uh, the verses that we're going to be looking at today. And that is verses 19 through 21. You know, since the word of God is so effective, we must receive it and let it do its work in us, which is what James is speaking about for the rest of the chapter, but receiving the word and, and doing the word. But today we're just going to look at the first half of that at receiving the word, because we can't be doers of the word if we don't first receive the word. And so and so let's let's look at uh, verse 19. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to to become angry. Now, some Bible versions begin with "you know this" instead of "know this," and that is because in the Greek it could be taken as a command, or it could be taken as a statement. It could be in the imperative, or it could be in the indicative. And I really think that uh, what James is doing here, even though the ESV translates it "know this" as if it's a command, that really what James is doing is is he's making a statement. He's saying, "You know this." And, and he's referring, the this that he's referring to is back at verse 18. You know that by God's own will that he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of this creation. You know this, my beloved brothers. Uh, you know that it is through the power of the word of God that you became Christians. And so let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. But James doesn't stop there. Then he goes on and he says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Now the key of this passage is that word receive. That the word receive carries with it a, a sense of, of urgency. And it means more than just to accept it. It's not just to, to, to hear the word of God and to accept it and to say, yeah, okay, that sounds good. But it's, it's the idea of a warm welcome and receiving that with great urgency. And so James says here that we are to give the implanted word of God a warm welcome into our souls. Now, what, what does he mean by the implanted word? Or the word that is planted in you, some of your translations may say. Well, James is recalling the parable of the sower. And so if you would, you keep your place here in James. But also look back to, to Matthew chapter 13, if you would. Matthew 13, uh, verses, uh, well, 1 through 23 is sort of the entirety of it. But just if you open to Matthew 13, you'll see that Jesus is telling here the parable of the sower and he says, the sower went out to sow, and then verse 4, and it says, As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came down and devoured it. And then down in verse 19, then Jesus explains what he's referring to. He says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That's what he means by the seed on the path. And then in verse 5, he said, Other seeds fell 
on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And then in verse 20, he sort of explains what this is. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so you can see here that what Jesus is doing is, is he's talking about the, the, the word of God, which is the seed. And he's talking about different soils, different kinds of people that, that hear the word of God. And, and we see here that the first is on rocky ground and, or on the path that's hard. And then that which is on rocky ground, which, you know, uh, appears to take root just for a little bit, but eventually withers away. And then verse 7, he talks about a third kind of soil. Uh, he said, other seed fell amongst the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. And in verse 22, he, he's telling us that this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the world, word and it proves unfruitful. And so you see in all of these different places that the word really never is implanted in the hearts of men, that it may be there for a while, but it's either snatched away or choked away and, and then it's gone. But then he says in verse say other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. And in verse 23, he he tells us that this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And it's the person in which that fruit then, or that word, or that seed grows and, and eventually bears fruit. So when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word is received into our hearts and, and addresses the deepest commitments of our lives. When the gospel is preached to us, it's not merely information that we receive, but it is the word of God to be assimilated into our lives. It is to be absorbed. It is to be taken in. It is to be ingested into our lives. Or as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, verse 12, it is the life-giving word to divide. It pierces to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's what we see the word as planted in us, it takes root. It, it, there's a work that that word does in us. And I think as we come this morning to hear the word of God preached, we have to ask ourselves, do we welcome the word of God in that way? Not as the word of men, but it, as it actually is as the word of God, as, as Paul saw the Thessalonican church do. Or do we receive it with great eagerness like the Berean Christians who examine the scriptures every day to see what it said? So there is that word that is implanted in us as we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's not like we just hear that word once. We hear a gospel message and then we say, oh, well, I'm good. You know, I, I don't need to come hear the word of God anymore. It's not just enough to hear the gospel message, but we need to cultivate the word in our lives. And we see that in various passages in Scripture. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. Isn't it ironic? What's it about? 
It's about the Word of God. It's about the importance of the Word of God in the life of the believer because it isn't as if we can just sit back and let the Word just sort of happen automatically. It takes all of the spiritual energy that God gives us and all the commitment that we can to, to realize the fullness of being true receivers of the Word of God. And so James talks about how we are to receive the Word uh, as we hear it preached. First of all, we are to receive the Word with submission. Secondly, we are to receive it with purity. And then third, we are to receive it with meekness. So we receive the Word of God with submission, with purity, and with meekness. So let's look at those this morning. First of all, receiving the word with submission. The word that, that we have experienced by its power that has made us new creatures in Christ is now the same word that must yield its power to make us grow in our faith. And, and that's what James says here. He says, know this, my brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Now, the idea of being quick to listen is the idea of an eagerness to grasp every opportunity to increase our hearing of the Word of God. We want to hear the Word of God every chance we can. The Word of God is more necessary than, than our food. I mean, Jesus said that it was His food to do the will of His Father. It's more precious than gold. It's as the Bible says in Psalm 119, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We can't live properly as Christians without the Word of God. And so as we, we hear that word preached, as we hear it taught, as we read the word of God, we need to sit silently and listen to the word of God that is open to us in the scriptures. We need to, to meditate on and ponder over the words and, and the sentences. You know, we need to, to weigh the nuances and examine word by word and listen carefully so that we can comprehend its meaning. Uh, if you show me someone who has no desire at all to sit under the teaching of the Word of God, then I'm going to show you someone who is most likely not a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. True believers run to hear the Word of God. They long to hear the Word of God. They want to hear the Word of God. And so as we come this morning, I think it's good for us to, to consider this and to ask ourselves, Sort of what do we see in our lives? You know, and kids, I'm very concerned for you. And I want you to know I pray for you a lot. Young people, I pray for you a lot as well. And even the adults, as you grow up in the church, sometimes you hear the Bible stories, you hear the Word of God taught over and over and over, and they just become stories. It just becomes things that you go, oh yeah, I know that. I can remember a time... As a young person, I shudder to say this. I shudder to say this. But I remember when I was a youth, I was just tired of hearing the Bible stories. I was just tired of hearing Bible teaching. I just thought, I know it all. Now, that should have been my first uh, tip-off that something was wrong. But I just thought, I know it all. I just heard it all. It has just become humdrum. But that's not the, the life of one in which the Word of God has been implanted as they've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's important for us to ask ourselves, do you hunger for God's Word? Or is God's Word a burden to you? 
are, are, are you sitting in the worship service sort of checking your watch, you know, and sort of going, you know, well, what time is it? Is it about time for him to be over? You know, or is it something where we could sort of take or leave the word of God? We're fine to hear the word of God. It's good to, to come on Sunday, but maybe during the week, you know, we never really crack our Bibles. We really see no, no need to that. You know, do we really have a tremendous desire to learn and to long to grow? Do we have an appetite for the word of God? You know, and it, it might even be possible to be a person who has a regular Bible reading, uh, but you are distracted and absent-minded in your reading, and really you're doing nothing more than moving your bookmark in your Bible from this chapter to the next chapter, the next chapter to the next chapter. The word is read, but it's not heard, and there's not a sense of, of love for that. Now, there, there could be times when we read our Bible and it seems dull and it might even seem laborious. And that, there could be many reasons for that. It, it may be that we're too wrapped up in the things of the world or it may be that Satan is distracting us. So I'm not saying just because you struggle in your reading of the word of God sometimes that it doesn't mean that, that you are a believer but for the one who has the word planted in them, there is a desire and there is a hunger, a longing to know God's word. And when we have not been fed that longing, we over a period of time, we become very hungry for the word of God. But someone where the word has not been implanted in their heart, they're actually fine just to go along without the word of God. There's not that sense of missing it. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, are you? How eager are you for the word of God? How eager are you to come on the Lord's day, on Sunday morning, to come to hear the word of God preached? How eager are you to learn the word of God and to read great books that explain the spiritual truths to you? How eager are you to run to a Bible study where you know that the word of God will be open? How eager are you to go and to find a quiet place and a, a, a private place where you can go and you can open the word and you can study it? James tells us, if you want to test yourself, start with quick, being quick to listen. But he also says that we need to be careful to be slow to speak as well. Now what he's saying here is this, that as you are quick to listen, uh, be just as slow to speak. In other words, don't ever presume to stand up and to speak on behalf of God. That is, by teaching the word, unless you are prepared for all that that encompasses. You know, in other words, we must pursue eagerly every opportunity to hear the word taught, every opportunity to hear the word of God proclaimed, but be cautious, be slow, be patient, with great reluctance to stand up and to be a speaker or a teacher of the word of God. And if you look over at chapter 3, verse 1, you know, James is going to get to this. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We are to be very slow before we stand and offer our thoughts upon the word of God. And, and I think this is really important for us as a church in America to hear because we have a tendency in our culture to idolize youth, you know, people who are younger. You know, we need more youth in the church. Uh, you know, we need to, to, to take those young people and help them sort of, uh, you know, uh, get into roles of responsibility. And it's not uncommon for there to be an expectation to promote young people to positions of authority in the church, even whether they're ready or not. 
You know, as a matter of fact, I know I've heard some young people, and when I say young people, I'm talking about people maybe in their 20s or, or their 30s, where they go to a church and they have told me that their expectation is that they're going to go to that church and if they're not an officer in that church in two to three years, they're going to move on to another church where, where they th- can use what they think is their gifts and abilities because they expect to be recognized and to be promoted to that position of authority. You know, or we live in a time in the church where even uh, a person is converted, you know, a, a recent convert, and, and it's not long before they're given a Sunday school class to teach and to bring forth and to preach the word of God. But, you know, the Bible warns us against this. It warns us against it very much. In First Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, you know, Paul is talking to Timothy and he's warning them that, you know, that, that they should not be quick to make a, an elder or a, a teacher or a bishop uh, um, or should not make a new convert or a novice, an elder or a bishop who's teaching. Why? Because it says he'll tend to be lifted up with pride and fall into the same condemnation that the devil fell into. And so even Paul goes on later on in chapter 5 of that same book, and he says, so don't be hasty on the laying on of hands. Don't be quick to, to lay hands on someone to make them an elder or a teacher in the church. Uh, Hebrews also talks about that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And so James tells us that we are to be quick to, to listen and slow to speak. Now, there may be those that you are called to teach. I'm not saying that we don't need any teachers. That's, that's not true. There are definitely those that God has gifted and equipped to come and to be teachers before the church. But we should uh, apply ourselves in such a way to be patient and, and to make sure that as we proclaim the word of God that we are prepared to do so. I know sometimes people will come to me and they'll ask me, they said, Pastor Rick, do you ever get nervous in preaching? And, and my answer is like, well, no and yes. Um, no, I'm not in the sense to stand up in front of people doesn't bother me. As a matter of fact, the larger the crowd, sometimes the better for me. I don't know, maybe it seems like more of a mass. I don't know. But I can preach to hundreds of people easier than I can preach to five people sometimes. But it really doesn't bother me so much. And, and it really doesn't bother me to preach if, if I am prepared and if I feel like I have a good grasp on the test, text. But if I'm unprepared, you know, because I don't know what I'm talking about, maybe I don't understand the text as well as what I want, or maybe I haven't prepared uh, as well as maybe I should have, maybe I've given priorities to other things in my week rather than studying God's Word, then in those cases, I am very apprehensive to get up and to preach the Word of God. You know, because I have a concern that I might misrepresent what God's word says. And that makes me nervous because I think as teachers, what we need to be concerned about is that we rightly divide the word of truth. And that uh, I should put a sense of sort of uh, reluctance as we handle the word of God, even for ministers of the gospel. But we also need to be careful to be slow to anger. Now, 
when James says this, he's not just lumping all anger into this statement to say never be angry. We know from Scripture that there is such a thing as a righteous indignation. Uh, there is the Lord Jesus who, who made a whip and he cleaned out the temple. And he said, you know, you've turned my father's house, which is a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. And so we see that sense of righteous indignation. And we know that that's not sin. So that's not what James is talking about. But what he's talking about here is in reaction or in response to the word of God. When you hear something from the word of God, do you ever find yourself resentful or angry to the message? It, because one, it either it disagrees with what you're thinking about that text or be, maybe because it confronts your sin. You know, as we saw earlier, when the word of God is preached accurately, uh, it oftentimes it hurts because the word cuts to the core of our being and even convicts us of, of our sin. And so when that happens, we need to ask ourselves, uh, how are we going to respond? Do we ever become angry at what we hear? Do we ever become resentful or combative towards God or the preacher, maybe even who's preaching the message? Oftentimes people, when they're convicted, they become very hostile. I mean, uh, think about, if you would, uh, a preacher who stands up or a teacher who stands up and he preaches about God's view of divorce to someone who wants to unload his wife for a younger model and you stand up and you preach what God's word says, you know, uh, he may become very hostile to the things that you said because he already has his mind made up about what he wants to do and he does not want to hear the word of God. And so you come against him as you preach the word of God. So there would be a time uh, when, you know, you might resent something that, that's being taught. Now, there may be times when you may see errors, and, and that's fine. But we need to be very patient if, uh, and very cautious before we reject things that we hear that are clearly taught from the Word of God. And why is that? Because James goes on, he says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, it doesn't produce that which pleases God, that which is right before God. And so there needs to be a sense as we come to God's word that we come with a sense of submission to that word. But we also must receive the word with purity as well. And he goes on in verse 21 and he says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now the point is before the word of God uh, can produce the righteousness of God, uh, a putting off has to take place. You, you have to sort of unload some things. You have to put off, or, or some translations say, put away. Uh, and the idea of this word in the Greek is means to put off clothes, to take off dirty clothes, soiled clothes. And later on it became meant to be reject evil vices or get rid of the sin or put to death the sin that we have in our lives. And this is a very familiar concept throughout Scripture. And I'm not going to go through a lot, but just to mention a few, Ephesians 4, Paul talks about this. Ephesians 4.22, he says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, Paul's talking to Christians here. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's, he's talking to Christians. Or or 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, 
that by it you may grow up into salvation. And, you know, Peter is sort of uh, echoing what James is saying here, that we need to put off that sin so that we might receive the implanted word of God. Now, what, what does he mean by these terms filthiness and rampant wickedness? Well, uh, filthiness, he's emphasizing sort of that uh, polluted, the uh, polluting effect of sin. Things like envy and lust and malice that eat away at the soul, sort of like a cancer in us. And the rampant wickedness, he's talking about just the abundance of the wickedness that is in, in our hearts. And we read this last week as we were reading from Genesis 6-5 as God was preparing to destroy the earth. You know, why did he do so? It says that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And is that not oftentimes the struggle that we have? And what James wants us to see is, is that we need to get rid of the sin and all of its manifestation, uh, that that is an urgent necessity in the life of a believer. That as we hear the word of God, we need to receive it, we need to welcome it, but we cannot have this sense of duplicity in our life where we're living this lifestyle of sin, indulging ourselves in the sinful desires of our heart, and then over here receiving the word of God, and then wondering, huh, I wonder why there's not much change in my life. You know, he says there needs to be a sense of mortifying the sin of our heart, putting that to death. And we know that we can do that only as we rely upon the word of God. As we, as I said earlier, you know, uh, the psalmist says that I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So there is a sense in which as we continue to read the word of God as we continue to receive that word and listen to the message that it that it has that there is a sense that it helps us in terms of mortifying the flesh and then third and finally we need to receive the word with humility he he goes on and he says receive with meekness the implanted word now that word meekness can have a lot of different translations it can mean humility it could be translated gentle or meek or willing. Probably maybe the best translation is teachable so that we are to receive uh, with sort of a teachable spirit. We are to welcome the word with a teachable spirit. But I want us to understand that this is not a, a passive action. It's very active. It, it, it takes it in. It receives it. A teachable spirit without resentment, without anger, without pride. And so as we come on Sunday morning or we're listening to sermons on the internet during the week or whatever, that we come with a sense of wanting to hear and, and a sense of, of being teachable and seeking to actively receive that word that's being preached to us. And the reason we do that, it says, is so that our souls might be saved. Now, we use the term salvation just in a past tense oftentimes. You know, salvation is a past event. You know, Christ accomplished that salvation for us. We have received that salvation when we became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible uses that term so much more broadly than we use it. The Bible also talks about salvation that's going to be coming in the future. You know, the salvation is a future event because our deliverance is never complete until Christ returns. And, you know, men are judged and we are enter into heaven and God makes the new heavens and the new earth. But he also talks about salvation in the present sense. 
something we seize and work out day by day. That's where Philippians talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, and, and James, the word of God, you know, he wants us to see is empowers us daily now in the present uh, to help us to, uh, to be saved, to, to, to grow in our faith. And so as we come before the word of God, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you that we must come with maybe the posture that Mary had. Remember, she sat at the feet of Jesus and it says that she sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teaching. Or uh, Cornelius, when Cornelius had the vision and called for Peter and Peter came to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Do you know what Cornelius said to Peter? Peter arrived at his house and Cornelius says in Acts 10.33, Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Do you hear that? We are all here waiting to hear what the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Let us not be like the crowd who was uh, preparing to stone Stephen. You know, it says that as Stephen was preaching to this crowd that had taken him out, it says, but they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed towards Stephen and they took stones and they stoned him. Brothers and sisters, I think we need to ask ourselves as we come this morning, are we receivers of the word or are we rejectors of the word? And, and I, I would even say this. Are we active receivers of the word or are we passive rejectors of the word? I, I can't think of a person in this room who would say, yeah, I want to reject the word of God. I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to hear what we have to say. But there may be a sense in which there is a... a uh, not a carefulness to to be an active recipient of of the word of God, and so I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, as as we look at that, you know, is it that the word of God is not implanted in our hearts, and we're just going through the motions, and we're just acting as a Christian, or it might be that we do desire the word, but maybe there are things in our lives that aren't right, that sort of keeping us from hearing the word of God. And so once again, I think it's good for us just to ask some questions and to ask ourselves, is your heart's desire to hear the word of God? Can you identify with the psalmist in Psalm 119 as he cherishes and he values the word of God? Can you identify with the people in Nehemiah 8 when they stood up and they read the word of God and the people stood all day long and they listened to the word of God and they were filled with such exhilaration that first they wept and then they mourned over their sins. And then they celebrated the wonderful news as they heard the law of the Lord read. Where are we? You know, is it that we have given ourselves to the word of God? Is it that we really want to hear but maybe our life is cluttered up with sin that it's just we're not receiving the word as we ought, that there is a sense of duplicity, that there's a sense in which we want to obey the Lord, but we've given ourselves to sinful habits. 
Brothers and sisters, the beauty of this is, is that God has given us this word, which is very precious. And it's, it is so good. You know, I, I've, I've heard someone say one time, you know, God's word will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from God's word. And it's very true. And, uh, you know, and I think we need to, to ask ourselves and young people, kids, I want to ask you, do you like to hear the word of God? Do you cherish that? Do you love that? It's my prayer as your pastor that you kids will grow up to love, I mean love, the Word of God. Because that's a sign to show that God has implanted His Word in your heart as the Gospel has been preached. And it's only as we learn to receive the Word of God welcoming, it's only then that we can be doers of the Word, which we're going to talk about next week, okay? All right, let's uh, bow our heads, if we could, just for a time of, of meditation upon the word that we've heard preached. Our Lord, we, we thank you that you have revealed your word so clearly to us that you've even written it down and bound it that we might have it in our own language. And many of us have it on our Bibles and our phones and many different forms. The Lord, our prayer is that of the psalmist. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Lord, may that be the prayer of our heart. Lord, if there is any that is here today that is neglecting your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would deal with their hearts. God, convict them of their sins. You would call them to repent in you. Lord, if there are secret sins uh, that we are hiding, Lord, things that uh, uh, we know are dishonoring to you, lust and lying and envy and um, uh, words that are, 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 are selfish and uh, sinful, I pray, dear God, that you would deal with these sins, that you would call us back, that we might be able to enjoy uh, the wonder and the glory of, of hearing your word preached. God, that you would cause us to grow stronger and to, to love you more fully, that you would help us, O oh Lord, in those times of temptation and trials to stand firm. We thank you, O oh Lord, and, and pray these things in, in your name. Amen.